We are back with the Hubscale podcast, where we dive into the minds of security leaders all around the world. This week, we have Carl Matson, the CISO of No Name, the leader in API security. Carl, it's great to have you on. Elliot, thanks for having me. No problem, no problem at all. So I guess for everybody listening who doesn't know Carl Matson, uh, give a quick introduction to yourself. Sure. Uh, Carl Matson. I'm the CISO for No Name Security. We're an API security company, uh, and I've been with the company about two years. This is my first uh, first part of my career that I've been a part of a security company. Uh, spent about a decade in financial services at a couple different CISO roles uh, prior to No Name, and then prior to that, my first career was uh, about a decade in in government. Awesome, awesome stuff. So take me back to your early days in your career. Then, um, how did you start off, and and what's the journey been like? Um. I kind of won the career lottery because after high school, being 19 years old, I, I enlisted in the army uh, and I got assigned to NSA. Uh, and that really was the like the first opportunity for me to get good training and enter enter the security field in a way that allowed me to kind of turn that into my career. And so uh, moving through different organizations, mostly like large corporate entities and, and various types of security and technology roles. Um, and then two years ago, I decided it was time to um, you know, to make a make another career move, and and I and I joined No Name after having been uh, an early customer of the company. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, really exciting. And one of the topics today, which is so many topics we can dive into, but it's actually around building a security team and program yep. within a security vendor. Um, so just talk to me as about that a little bit. Well, the the unknown for me, moving from a bunch of corporate gigs in the past is moving to security vendor like how much would be different in the security function itself um everything's the same the like the, the chessboard of of protecting an organization and your data and you know, supporting your customers is really exactly the same the only real difference is uh like in, in the banking world um i would lean into regulatory requirements or control frameworks as the reason we need to do a, B, and C. Uh, in no name, um, I can lean into customer requirements. So when customers, you know, require a certain level of assurance and trust in in us, uh, the integrity of our product, um, that's a, that's the rationale to make to build the building blocks of a great security program. Uh, so really, what I'm really doing is I'm doing the exact same things, but I'm I'm kind of sourcing inspiration from customers where I used to source that inspiration from, let's say, like government regulators. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And is there any difference between obviously the hyper growth uh, that No Name has been on over the past few years, and then obviously maybe a financial backing from the corporate world where they're not maybe growing as fast? What's the difference in terms of the the security program we have to build there? Yeah, cer certainly we had the um and the, the luxury of having a uh, um growth. Like I was employee sixty five, and then you know a year later we've got you know two hundred fifty employees, uh, and that that growth trajectory mean it meant that we had to invest pretty fast. Uh, so a, a lot of times what we would do, and and I did this, you'd bring in technologies that you were already familiar with, for example. So rather than go out and do an RFP for three different CSPMs or three different EDR solutions, um, you just kind of take the pulse of the team internally about what 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 have we used in our career that works and let's just go do it and so um that really accelerates like the time to shore up um the the, the defenses when you're just leaning into the leaning into the technologies and the practices that you already have and then so something like an edr deployment might take three weeks uh whereas in a bank it might take you know a full year to do something like that 
Yeah, no, the speed of it seems uh, seems a lot more faster, doesn't it? Which is which is awesome. But I guess um, I guess one of the things I really wanted to dig into today, Carl. I know you and I have had conversations about the the past, and you're obviously a venture advisor at Wild Ventures, Cyberstarts, and yeah. all these other, other cool venture firms. And I guess for a lot of the listeners, do um, really are intrigued by speaking to individuals like yourself who really go out there and speak to entrepreneurs and and really get into the weeds about the stuff with these with these people who are growing the businesses. But it'd be great for if you could dive into that a moment about advising the startups and, and everything along those lines around tips for the founders you meet and, and what's your kind of um, thoughts going into these meetings um yeah a, a few thoughts and the the, the first is is that i think as a uh, as a bank CISO when i would do engagements with early stage companies um i had, I had to pay very close attention to things like conflicts of interest and so making sure that my participation when i talked to in an, with a, in an advisory capacity uh was uncompensated and unpaid that that's something so i learned early in my career to to look at the reward for me uh, as developing good relationships with technology who are really pushing the envelope. Uh, and then from time to time, um, I could buy that technology that was sort of new to the market and did, did doing something innovative. Um, and so that's what I, I first start with is, is um, uh, th think of the benefit for your company by having those engagements and focus on that rather than the personal benefit. Um, things like advisory shares or, or consulting fees like that. Um, so one of the key things I, I think uh, you know I, I learned is is if you catch me on any given day, I might have different opinions on different things, right? So like, let's say, for example, that, um, you know, I have a pain point of privileged access one day, and then next, the same, you know, the same question a week later, my biggest pain point is something like uh, patch management, right? Um, so the, I would, it, it, CEOs in particular, um, um, need a, a number of data points. Uh, talk to everybody and, and collect data points because it, it doesn't matter who, what someone's track record is or what company they're coming from. Um, their vantage point is only a point in time and it's only um, representative of like one style of security philosophy or one architecture. Um, so it's important to have like dozens of, of data points to collect like good, meaningful feedback. I know that there's there's a company out there that we've all heard of uh, that I gave very, very, very specific advice to and they did not take it. Um, and I was pretty disappointed in that. And it turns out that they are a multi-billion dollar company who made exactly the right decisions along the way. I don't know everything and, and no one does. So um, asking a lot of questions and keeping those relationships going is really important because on, on any given day, our priorities change or our opinions change. Uh, and I'm, I'm not immune to... Um, uh, changing my mind, uh, and and I, I like to be convinced too. Sometimes that a CEO or a founder of a company um, is thinking through a problem set with more sophistication than I am. So when I you know when I talk to to CISOs um, who want to get involved, like with advisory conversations, um, I, I think the, the the important thing is just to is if you, if you put yourself out there, uh, and anybody listening um, can shoot me an email. I'm just you know, Carl M at no name. Um, I know a dozen companies who would love to talk. That doesn't mean that there's some sort of immediate like share options and cash outflow, but there are founders who just want to know what CISOs are thinking um, uh, as they think through problem sets. Um, and those introductions are really easy to make. There's a, there's a lot of like open arms for that kind of conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it goes into to what I kind of say quite a lot. It's about paying forward, right? I think yep. I was talking to yep. a CISO 
another CTO was on the podcast a couple of days ago um, and he was talking about really early on in his career he was just going out there and, and not really making any traction with what he wanted to do and um, but then over the time once he started digging into it and started really helping people out later on down the line then that started where you do get paid for this types of things and it is a kind of a career as well and then he actually went into the other side and started with a VC firm so that's part of the journey that you've got to go on and it's kind of that paying forward and I think that another thing as well because a lot of founders um, listen to this and uh, I've had a lot of founders on the podcast call. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to yourself as a CISO, as a, obviously been a CISO for many, many years? What advice would you give to founders looking to scale? Um, or for kind of that, but they've got the inception maybe of the idea, but then going out there and finding investment, um, speaking to CISOs around the world, what kind of advice would you give to people like that? Um, I mean, I, I think a couple of the, the the greatest hits that I usually share with founders um, is, is, Number one, um, there's a much bigger market out there than founders um, uh, maybe assume. So, for example, if you if you take any category of technology where there's a dominant player, and let's just let's just use a couple examples just for the sake of discussion, like CrowdStrike or Okta or Palo Alto or whoever, um, those biggest companies in the world in security, they really only have a very small percentage of market share. I think. CrowdStrike still only has like less than 10% of the world endpoint protection market or Palo Alto still only has like 15% of the cloud security, whatever the number is. Um, there's a, there's a, um, uh, there's a, a belief sometimes with founders like, oh, I, I can't do that because that's CyberArk already does that or Okta already does that. Um, and the reality is, is as successful and, and, and no disrespect to any of those companies, um, there's so much more customer out there who are using so many more technologies. And so, um, so when I, when I talk to founders, I, I, I think, um, I, I recommend look at the long-term category. Is this a category of technology or security that is likely to still be there 10 years from now? And if that answer is yes, build in that area where you have a domain expertise, you can build something relevant. Because um, I think we all know that CrowdStrike and Okta, they're going to be here 10 years from now. Um, if you're making up a new category entirely, that is a very risky thing to start. Because now you're talking about convincing the world that there's something um, new that they should be doing that they've never done before. And so I, I do think that the um, the overwhelming majority of founders um, um, maybe scared away from building a technology or a company that competes with the big, you know, the, the, the behemoth companies. I think that's a much safer place to start. That's my personal opinion. Um, the other thing too, is to, is to make some choices about what kind of company you're not, um, you know, the, the complexity that you can, um, incur by building both on-prem and SaaS technologies. Like you, you, you kind of have to start somewhere uh, and starting somewhere means that you have to identify what customers are not going to be a good fit. Um, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive for a founder to think about saying no to revenue, right? I don't, I don't, I don't want to say no to a, a new paying customer. I'm a small business. Well, the, the reality is, is there are only, there's only a small subset of customers who are, who are your ideal customer. Um, and that ideal customer it needs exactly what you need when, when, when at, at the right time in the right place and the right sort of formula is there. Uh, and that mixture is, is an ideal customer profile. And so um, the earlier that a customer or the earlier that a founder can really hone in on that ideal customer profile, what they do is they stop wasting their time on all the sales pitches and all the POVs that, that ultimately are, are not going to serve them well as a, as a young company. Um, and 
the, the ideal customer profile is not necessarily who the founders think it's going to be. Um, it's what the uh, you have to you listen to the market. The market will tell you. Um, uh, but by having those dialogues with with customers early and with CISOs who aren't customers early, um, to to really hone in on that really specific subset of customers that um, are exactly what you need as at an early stage. Yeah, I think that's so important as well. I I was reading the Zero to IPO book by the Opta co-founder. Um, he talks about that exact point. Do not go after every single customer possible. Do not change your product yep. to a certain customer um, and everything along those lines as well. So no, no, really, really good advice. Yeah, I mean, companies like companies like Walmart and Department of Defense and Wells Fargo and like, yeah, careful what you wish if that's the, if you're going to, you know, um, um, hinge your entire business model on landing that biggest behemoth corporation in the world uh, when the company down the street might just be the right customer. Um, and and it's, that's an easy thing to, to miss is that um, some some founders don't want to think that they, they want to only chase like the biggest customers in the world. And that, that's not a very good recipe for success for many companies. Yeah, you're so right as well. And you talked about there about kind of going out early doors. Um, just explain that in a little bit more detail. Obviously, people and founders have a great network sometimes, but some especially um, kind of first time founders not necessarily don't necessarily do um so how would you go out there and really kind of look at the market and assess the market as an early stage founder um well great question i think that's the um um the the, the first of all the, the accelerant is 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 who you take money from um your investors and so uh, getting into networks of of investors with like reputable investors can really facilitate those those early discussions um but those also include like things like angel investing syndicates or or um um cooperative for investments that that give you some um new entry point into into new markets but the there is no really replacement for for getting on getting getting on a plane and getting on the road and hitting the conferences and hitting the exhibit halls and, and dinners um there is a um uh, I, I won't i won't quote him i'm not sure that he would appreciate the the personal quote but I, I i know one of the like one of the foremost investors in our in our field um and his prediction on company success is literally a ratio of how much time the founder spends on an airplane or how many miles they they travel on an airplane how many miles they travel is directly proportionate to the level of success and valuation of the company that's it that's his model um so for a founder who you know, who might be big wherever you are in the world. Uh, if you're not, if you're not on the plane going to, you know, going to meet people in person uh, for um, industry outreach, for early customer meetings, for sales pitches, for customer success and renewals and ongoing, if that founder is not out there on the plane meeting people face to face, um, there's not a lot of companies that that do well. Um, and so that's a um, uh, maybe a, a shot across the bow to the founders. Um, uh, being a founder is not a work from home job. Being a founder is being on the road. So, yeah, no, you know that Elliot, you just, you just got back from the UK. I mean, like that's, yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's the way it works. So yeah. you've got to be out there. And I, I think the COVID era was, um, it maybe knocked people back a little bit in terms of, yep. Oh, do we have to go out anymore? Can we just do it over zoom? And I think over yep. the past year or so, it starts to get really a little bit more open. Obviously with RSA this year, there's 45,000 people there. Yep. Um, yep. It was super crazy. So no, I really like that advice. Honestly, Carl, I think, um, you're definitely right. And uh, I love the quote, <laughs> quote about how many, uh, air miles as well, which is absolutely fantastic. But so um. I guess I just want to take you back to No Name a little bit. Um, I know you probably sure, talk sure. about No Name all the time, but obviously being kind of leader in the category, API security is something that needs to be 
really looked at more. Um, obviously, Gartner kind of recognized it going to be the number one attack vector in 2022, right? Last year. So um, just tell me a little bit more about kind of no name and, and your journey so far. Sure. Um, well, APIs aren't new. Um, you know, APIs in various forms have been around for 20 years. Um, um, but the API sort of used to be the um, um, like the, the 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 unspoken facilitator of machine to machine communications, mostly on an internal network. But they they because APIs allow systems to interconnect. Um, we started to use them broadly for much more sort of um, public purposes. So APIs used to be internal facing. Now we're exposing them externally to do. Um, um, you know, integrations with with third parties and external partners. We're selling products and services, and the data is moving out via API. So, what's truly changed is is the API is now become the front door. Um, used to be web applications, and now increasingly, the API itself is the front door of an organization. So, um, you know, taking an organization like like uh, or SmartSheet or Salesforce, any any you know SaaSec technology that you can think of, um, really what they're doing is they're serving APIs to the world. Um, and so that that because now the API is sort of present as the front door for so many companies, um, the um, the the integrity or the the level of precision that we have to get right on an API has to be there um, because now it's now it's actually the 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 keys to the kingdom or it's the crown jewel of data is via API. Um, and so for me, it was about five years ago where um, you know working in a financial um, the modernizing our mobile application meant us going to an API centric architecture, and that really started me on the journey of thinking about how do I secure this um uh, this channel and it took a couple of um uh, false starts right things that I I had to learn how to be a leader and I had to learn how to think about the problem set um and then after a, a couple of years then I, then meeting no name um finding that there was a, kind of a kindred spirit into how to solve this this problem set and for me as a as a financial services CISO they were solving it in the way that it resonated with me. These were my priorities and it matched what, what they were doing from a technology perspective. So um, so when I started talking to Oz about joining No Name, um, it, it made a lot of sense because this was a particular um, technical security problem that I had grappled with for some time. And I and I felt like I, I can tell this story because I know that people are going through this and they're still going through this sort of discovery process about what is this chess game of, of API security that I need to account for as a security leader? Um, and so I think that we're seeing um, a very rapid shift of towards companies where it's not just the big SaaS tech companies that are API led now. It's it's kind of everybody. It's pharmaceuticals, it's automotive, um, it's um, energy, because now they've all taken up a, a port, uh, taken on the API as a, an API centric um, application model, and that that trend is relatively early in its its lifetime um that's not going to stop over the next 10 years and so security teams are are really grappling with um how to develop this competency in in, in securing apis because they're becoming sort of uh, core to everything we do yeah no definitely and i think it's really cool i had a i had somebody else on the podcast a while ago and we was talking about apis and nine times out of ten the CISOs don't even know how many uh apis they actually have <laughs> so it's um, oh yeah yeah <laughs> So I mean, exactly. it, it, an API is an asset, right? And so, I mean, uh, what the top 20 critical controls, uh, doesn't matter what frame you, you were used, control number one is is know your assets. Um, and that's that's the fundamental, or it's the it's the original sin uh, with securing APIs is I don't, if I don't know where they are and, and what they consist of, um, I have a very hard time um, controlling them or protecting the data, so. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's such an interesting topic. I've been I've been staying very close to it, especially over the past couple of years. But um, I guess just switching it again back to kind of the the your kind of current role and the modernized CISO kind of thing. And um, what is the biggest challenges you face as a CISO in this kind of modern day? Um, you know, I, I think that we have uh, from like a security challenge, we have a, a very cute version of something that most companies are feeling, which is is like software supply chain. Uh, that is is such a a concern for us because um, you know we're a product company. Our software is and IP is our is our business, and so um, and that's not, not it's not not the case at, at a lot of companies across the enterprise. But our our software is is everything, and so um, it's the integrity of the software. It's ensuring that the developers have the right systems, but they're 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 hyper secure. That our source code is is um, you know, defect free, but also, you know, the, the pipelines and the repos that we have are, are hardened. And so that when we're going to market with a software product, that software product um, is not only squeaky clean, uh, but I also that I could show evidence of that, you know, that hygiene, that, that hardening uh, to our customers, because um, we are a product company and every customer now is sort of raising the bar in terms of how they expect us to demonstrate how, you know, secure our software is, which is exactly the right question. And it's exactly my obligation uh, to really focus on the those product hygiene, secure development mechanics so that we can evidence that to our, to our customer base. Yeah, no, no, it's super, it's super interesting because obviously everything changes as time goes on. And um, even if you look at the future of security, I, I know we, we don't want to really dive into AI because you've yep. probably talked about that multiple times. But... All, all, all good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, it's, uh, it's just interesting how it's going to kind of evolve over the next five years and, and 10 years, really. So because the attackers are not going to stop, it's just going to get it's just going to get worse, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and uh, not to be a contrarian, I, I don't there there are so many sort of security implications uh, of AI. Um, but I but I personally think that before we get to some of the more sophisticated use cases of, of like attackers using AI to uh, attackers, I just want our developers who to use it smartly uh, to use like for example, if we if we can give a developer like this the ability to securely use AI assist technologies as co-pilots to putting good product in production and even more defect free or higher quality, like that's a really good thing. Um, but it's also a, a risk, right? So we have to make sure that we're equipping people to use, um, you know, whether it's GitHub Copilot or Microsoft Office or whatever the case is, all, all these technologies that are kind of baking AI into it. Um, that's the, uh, I kind of like, I'll call it the friendly use case. Uh, and I want to enable that friendly use case and enable responsible use um, because the, the 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 sophisticated attacker stuff is going to be out there waiting for us. But I don't want to ignore the the opportunity to take advantage of some of these accelerations um, right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I think over the next couple of years, there's some really cool businesses going to going to evolve um, out of the especially the AI and ML machine. Yep. Um, security businesses, which is pretty awesome, but um, but no, that's uh, that's really cool stuff. And obviously, me being a recruiter, I, I always like to kind of dive into um, a little bit about kind of tips and tricks for people to break into security, especially for for people like yourself, Carl. So, anybody who's wanting to get into security, especially these days, uh, what type of advice would you give to people? Um, first, the number really powerful networks uh, that require 
nothing other than a little bit of donation of your time and, and you get fantastically well connected. So just like a great example would be OWASP, the Open Web Application Security Project. Um, anybody can contribute, go to OWASP chapter meetings, contribute to projects. And in those Cloud Security Alliance, InfraGuard, there's a number of them, but just taking OWASP, for example, um, you have some of the world's foremost experts in security contributing to OWASP projects, along with people who are unemployed and people who are college students as part of a project team. Um, and I know several people in, in, in my professional network, um, that's how they've made their career is to is to establish credibility and relationships at, at a place like that. Um, and there and there are, there are so many out there from military veterans communities to um uh, things like Cybersity or United Cybersecurity Alliance, who really focus on um, uh, supporting women and minority candidates through their career progress. All of these things I'm mentioning are, are free, uh, and and they all have the theme to them about it's it's a build a relationship. Um, relationships are 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 pivotal to to getting involved with. Um, like-minded professionals who now now that you have an, a network that you of, of people who know who you are um, um magically things happen in terms of when jobs open and people start new companies and there's roles open so um regardless of where you are in your career level um there's a community who wants you and who wants your contribution so yeah you know definitely for everybody listening i'll put some links down um yep. underneath so people can uh people can click on those as well like uh, carl mentioned they're all free which is which is pretty awesome but carl we're, we're wrapping up the podcast today but there's always one question i'd like to ask um if you had to go back to the beginning of your career what advice would you give to yourself um great question um probably what i would what i would spend less time on um I have two master's degrees and I spent a lot of time pursuing post-secondary education. Um, to be perfectly frank, I, I think that, and maybe this is a dating myself a little bit, um, th those were those were gates that I felt like I had to go through before I'd make the next step. Um, and so, I, but I think that uh, for a lot of professionals today, um, you can make remarkable progress in, in landing a great job um, with without those, uh, without the fancy university degree. Um, and I probably would go, I, I love, I love being in college and I, I'd like, like, I really appreciate my programs, um, but things don't have to happen in serial um, um, so that you can go part-time and take classes online now. And I think those are the kinds of things that, um, I, I it took, it took me a while to, um, to see, I was probably, you know, 31 years old when I finished my second master's degree. And that probably, um, I, I didn't need to do that in, in, in sort of serial format. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I think, um, I think now, especially with the day and age, everything's online yep. and I think you can kind of break things up, but, um, but no yep. college, uh, really, really good advice, really good advice. Anything else? <laughs> oh, last thing. Um, uh, the, 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 the best career accident that I, I ever walked into was, um, you know, I, I, during a time that I, I wasn't working, I was unemployed. I, I got, I paid for myself to go to a big fancy conference and I paid for airfare and the hotel and all those types of things. Um, but I invested in myself at a time because I, you know, a lot of people won't go to conferences or they won't do certain things um, because the company's not paying for it. Um, invest in yourself. Um, those conferences like an RSA or a cyber tech in New York or Tel Aviv um, are hugely important for like career networks. And so um, even if companies have like, they're not, they're not traveling right now. Um, it, it, I think it's just a good investment in a person's own career to take a couple of days off and buy a plane ticket. That's uh, I think that's really time and money well spent. 
I would completely agree. I think um, we've only, I've only personally just started going to uh, conferences over the past maybe year or so. Um, and it's definitely been a huge eye opener to actually look somebody and shake them in the hand and meet them people face to face and network. So no, again, really, really good advice, Carl. And um, no, appreciate you coming on the podcast. I am looking forward to seeing your journey, especially yourself and no name over the next couple of years and see what you guys can do. But, um, but yeah, really ex- um, exciting times and thanks for coming up. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Elliot. Thank you. Bye-bye.